Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. It's quite an excited and possibly exciting Daily Canon weekly podcast. And joining me to talk about the last week and uh, where quite a lot's happened, a uh, couple of matches, ins, outs, uh, dinosaurs and everything else, uh, is Anita Sambol, as always, from Croatia. How's tricks, Anita? Hello, hello, Reggie. Yeah, definitely a lot, a lot has happened over the last week. <laughs> Yesterday, actually. Monday, the transfer deadline day. It was hectic day. <laughs> I mean, before we go any further, I just have to play this. I just, I just thought that's probably quite sums up quite how quite a lot of people were feeling about seven o'clock last night <laughs> when it became when it became clear it really was happening. Um, before we go any further, I also just want to uh, be very, very smug because I did totally call on the podcast that we were going to sign him <laughs> on the last day of the transfer window. <laughs> uh, Good call there. I think not that many people really thought it would happen. Well, I, I, f for me, it was always the one that, like, as soon as we didn't get our from Leon, um, I mean, I think we were trying to get both of them, but I, as soon as that happened, I, I was very confident we were going to get party because, you know, it, all we had to do is was activate the release clause, you know, yeah. even, even though we haven't got fees for people we wanted to get, we've managed to get a, 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 some money off the wage bill with, with a couple of players going on loan. Um, and, you know, we were bound to have a little bit of money there. So even though it's a big individual outlay, the rest of our other transfer business has been quite minimal. So I, I figured that given that we so clearly need a central midfielder who can run, um, the, the club was always very likely to push the boat out. And given that the club had been trying to get their mitts on him for 18 months now, or possibly even longer, um, ever since that amazing performance he played, filling in at right back, Atletico when they beat us in the Europa League semi-final when in the first leg when they had, they had your countryman got sent off after about three minutes <laughs> uh, and then party moved to right back and was like brilliant at right back and <laughs> completely shut down the left side of our pitch um, and apparently the news coming out of the Athletic uh, reporting was that actually his entourage met with Arsenal at the uh, Europa League game against Napoli over a season ago um, when, we, when we beat Napoli, so um, and so, because there'd been so much reporting that all the personal deals had been done so consistently for so long, it was just a case of triggering it. And uh, uh, I mean, ap apart from the excitement about it, I'm uh, I'm going to ask you about that, but also how you feel about Atletico Madrid's poor little broken hearts. Oh, that's that's really. <laughs> It's so great to see reports today how Diego Simeone is pissed, how they didn't see this coming, how we have messed up with his midfield plans. I mean, you just listed how long we have been interested in party and have been negotiating with them the whole summer, offering cash plus player and all other deals. And I'm sure it got mentioned while Torreira was discussed as well. I mean, it's not like... yeah. The 
out of nowhere. And they knew that there, there was a clause and that we can trigger it whenever we want. And I just love how it was done by the club contacting La Liga as it should be done. Mm. And then just, you know, there was a, a, a GIF reply to a Daily Canon tweet yesterday, uh, how a person throwing a, a PC out, out from, from the desk and the Twitter said, uh, this is uh, Atletico Madrid reacting when the money for party appears in their account. And that was just, yeah. Real nice summation. <laughs> well, well, it's also the fact that I love the fact that there was all these stories coming out from bits of the Spanish press, like throughout the day, going, uh, you know, trying to shut the story down. Trying to say, Atletico Madrid don't know anything about this. It's not going to happen. No one's spoken yeah. to them. And I'm like, and and, uh, and it's a bit like sticking the fingers in the ear and going la 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 la, not listening. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think what made it particularly satisfying is the fact that, you know. Arsenal eventually literally did what Atletico told them to do, which is like, we're not negotiating, we're not negotiating, we don't need to negotiate, we're not going to negotiate, why would we negotiate, we're not going to negotiate. And then, so you're going to have to pay the fee, you're going to have to pay the fee, you're going to have to pay the fee, you're going to have to pay the fee. And then we do it and they go, fucking hell, I paid the <laughs> But also on top <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And also on top of that is the fact that, like, Torreira was about to go back on loan to maybe Torino. We were going to get like a, a six million upfront free, and then a guaranteed sixteen million at the end of the year. You know that was what they were talking about, and there were similar conversations with a couple other teams about. You know, it might not have been what we wanted, but there was pretty much like some guaranteed money up front. And then and then Simeone kind of sweet talked, had conversations with uh, Torreira's agent. Suddenly, Torreira only wanted to go to Atletico because he'd been told how he'd. Fit into the team and obviously they're a big, bigger team and it makes sense where I'd want to go there and then Atletico are like well we're not paying you a loan fee uh, obviously trying to like basically make sure we didn't get any money for Torreira so we couldn't buy party and then we just went well guess what bitches we're actually a big club fuck off cojones <laughs> um, exactly exactly it was like kicking the door down on the last day of the transfer window just going you've tried for the last two months to fuck us this, this is what you get the only way it would have been sweet two minutes the only way it would have been sweeter is if at the last minute we'd managed to broker a deal for Torreira with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was that, that tweet going around that we had managed pulled pulled Torreira deal off the table and he's coming back. And, oh, if that happens, I mean that they would just hate us more than Spurs. Though. <laughs> I, I mean, the only reason I knew that wasn't going to happen is because even, well, as we've got some questions uh, from listeners, and one of them addresses this later, but so we'll talk about it then in, in earnest, but even without Torreira, we've got two non-homegrown players, too many for our squad numbers, <laughs> uh, and so if we liked, if we just, if we liked, kept Torreira just to piss them off, we just have another player that we're paying wages that we can't use. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be smart. It would be fun, but it wouldn't be smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's only so. you know, what's the degree where uh, where cutting off your nose to spite your face comes into play? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, getting, being a bit more serious, obviously, it's a massive signing for the club. Um, I mean, I've spoken a fair bit about what I hope for the player, but I mean, what's your thoughts about the player? How he'll fit in, and, and how big a deal this is for Arsenal. <laughs> Well, it's definitely a huge deal uh, spending that money. I mean, it's not like we haven't spent that money before, but 
we were made to believe whole summer that there's not enough money, there's not a lot of money, especially with not uh, players players not being sold for for a lot to you know create some some funding for for the transfers and everything. In that manner, it's a really big big uh, transfer. And party has been mentioned in rumors and everything for for it. What well, it feels like seasons. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so. I think it really means means a lot. It's it's very it's close to the Mesut Ozil deal that was that happened. Obviously, Ozil was a much bigger star than parties at mm, the moment. Mm, but mm. what it feels for for the club in this moment, and when I I mean I haven't really seen much of party. I I don't really watch La Liga or or, or even if I did, I wouldn't watch Atletico Madrid <laughs> because <laughs> I don't like Simeone or how he sets up his play. So I was just reading about the party himself today uh, on Twitter. It was that uh, David Cartledge, I think. I hope I uh, pronounced that correctly. Possibly. He's following La Liga, and yeah, I, I've been following him for for quite a while and seeing his tweet about tweets about La Liga and everything. And he wrote uh, a quite a nice thread about. Uh, what Thomas Party will bring to Arsenal and what kind of player he is and what kind of options will Arteta have uh, with him signed and I'm pretty much sold <laughs> on the player and really shows that it's a really fantastic transfer for us at the moment. We'll see if he fits in. David says that he thinks he will fit in really well and I've seen uh, I think it was um, Kieran Trippier who's playing there, he said that the uh, party is really, mm. his English is really, really good, so that he will fit in Premier League on that side as well, so. Yeah, and there was um, one of his Ghanaian teammates, Kwesi, I can't remember his surname now, apologies for that, um, was saying also that he thinks that party's personality will fit in well with what his view of the personality of the Arsenal squad is, in that he's sort of very serious and committed, but also kind of very fun, you know, kind of relaxed off the pitch you know this relaxed persona but is like uber professional so a bit like a bit like you know Aubameyang and, and his mates <laughs> that same kind of vibe of being someone that that, that that takes their profession very seriously but doesn't seem to take themselves too seriously and and you know that's a good thing as well you always have to look at how people are going to integrate um but I love just one part uh, in the thread about party, mm-hmm. which made me think, yes, this is exactly what we left. David said he uh, he's athletic and his physique makes him difficult to knock off the ball, but his reading of the game and soothing nature in hectic moments that... Under <laughs> 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 Simeone has shown above everything else. Soothing nature in hectic moments, I think that's definitely something we need <laughs> when we are defending you know one goal lead against a weaker team but we are struggling and you know, just you know waiting for the game to end that's exactly what we need yeah well I mean I remember us talking uh, got a year ago talking about signings then and talking about which when we were actually talking about the signing of David Luiz and mm-hmm. saying that you know I, I was saying I thought he'd be good for us but I did not want him paired with Socrates under any circumstances <laughs> because, or even to be fair Mustafi despite the fact that that turned out better than I thought well, towards the end of the season but that wasn't a back three simply because you've got people there for whom calm is not the, their strength you know they've got strengths sure and lots of attributes but you know 
an absence of calmness under pressure has been a, a hallmark of this team <laughs> for a few years now. So now we've already got a couple of people in that seem to have that personality. That obviously, if we've got someone else that's in a crucial position who has that as well as his other attributes, that's going to be a, a, a big bonus because we're not exactly overstocked with with people who are calm under pressure. Um, I mean, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, when, when we had the podcast with Lana a few weeks back, um, she was obviously hoping that Arsenal wouldn't buy OR from uh, Leon. Uh, although now Leon managed to basically not sell anyone and Depay's going to leave them free, so they may have fucked themselves. But, um, you know, I was saying at the time that although OR may be the more exciting player long term, Party is definitely the player for now. But just because he he ticks so many boxes of what we don't have, um, you know, most most of our you know our squad ha- covers a lot of attributes in different positions. They may not be at the elite level, but but Party has attributes that we just don't have in midfield. You know, he's got that combination of athleticism, which you might see a little bit in someone like Maitland Niles if he ever played in midfield, or Joe Willock. But with it, he's got a physical strength which maybe Xhaka has to a degree, and he, but he's also got a quick feet, a bit like Ceballos. He's got a good passing range. You know, he's, he's he can really cover the ground um, as well as being very fit. And as you say, he's got that calmness to his game, which kind of creates a little bubble around him almost. And of course, he's got an ability to beat the press, which, you know, as we, as we saw with Liverpool's results uh, over the last last uh, 10 days or so if even against the best pressing teams if you can beat the press then things get interesting uh, unfortunately we weren't able to very well in the first game <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I, I think it's a, a big big move for the club I think it gives us so many more options in midfield I think it also makes the, the transition towards a 4-3-3 happen quicker because you've got a midfielder who can offer a bit of athletic cover for the defence as well as just positional cover, um, and uh, and I think also one thing I found really interesting is people talking about why why he wanted to leave after to go and come to Arsenal. It's because Simeone, you know, they've got this very structured way of playing. He's got a very defined role. He's always, he's generally the deepest midfielder. He's very much in a screening role, and he's wants to be in a position where that's that's only part of what he does and he can be more expressive and offer more going forwards and what have you but the very fact that he is by you know a sort of archetypal box amongst midfielder but has been playing a lot deeper means we know he's got the discipline to fit into a number to different formations and different tactical setups because if you you know if you can if you can play Simeone football to a very very high level you should be able to cope with Arteta's discipline requirements as well on the pitch so you know that I think it's I think it's a it's a really exciting signing and um, although I was very confident it was going to happen it it still felt very nice when it did <laughs> <laughs> that whole day was just a roller coaster you know when the rumors came out and everything oh it's not happening definitely not happening we won't pull it off there's something that will happen to stop us doing that and just you know genuinely pessimistic when it comes to uh, or you know just preparing working you are working days to prepare yourself that man we won't make any transfers it's all done we have lost interest in main players I mean we have been fed that information as well over the weekend by yeah. some some 
parts of media and then the day happens and will it happen you are just you know do you dive in do you start believing <laughs> do you get excited and yeah it's just really exciting even though i always go like oh it's just transfers are not that important it's it's more about the the you know the setup of the whole season the tactics and everything transfers are just uh clickbait stuff and everything like that it's just really hard not to get dragged in when, especially when you see some other clubs their rivals not doing anything similar <laughs> which i'm sure has led to domestic bliss for you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I mean, just the way you're talking then makes me think of the uh, that famous Pacino scene, which is like, you know, just when I get out, they drag me back in. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, exactly that. But I think because I was kind of confident it was going to happen the whole time, just because the release clause was there and it was good value in the market, I just figured as soon as as soon as on the on yesterday morning there was kind of word that there was some movement I'm like okay mm. you know as soon as this comes from any as soon as I hear this from any source it isn't just some random twat on Twitter who doesn't even have a reputation for being knowing his stuff as soon as I heard it from like a couple of places I'm like okay it's going to happen the only way it's not going to happen is if Atletico find a way to fuck the regulation so it doesn't work <laughs> because you know when you've got a release clause and you've already agreed to personal terms you know the, the, there is absolute clarity about what needs to happen there's no need for negotiation if a contract's already been agreed basically if they're doing anything it's going to happen because they know that they can't get the player unless they play the cause the clause and they know if they pay the clause they're getting the player so it's such a black and white situation as soon as it became clear that Arsenal were even going, heading in that direction it was like okay well it's going to happen that's how I felt just because I couldn't see a scenario where Arsenal would bother doing anything unless they were just going to you know slap the money on the table um, so I was I was sort of following a few threads on Twitter and on a couple of forums you know in between work and stuff and I was just sort of feeling very smug and content with myself <laughs> I was just so convinced it was going to happen uh, and, I, and, and then obviously you know there was a point where it got quite late and, the, and it still hadn't been announced and I was like Oh come on! Don't don't fuck this up now. <laughs> like, have you Come checked your fax quickly. machines working? You know. <laughs> I honestly fell asleep waiting for it. I, well, I was working quite late yesterday on a few different bits and bobs, so I was so I was kind of alternate. You know, every every time I wanted a little tiny break from what I'm doing, it was like F five, F five. But yeah, Thomas Party is our new number eighteen. Number Interesting number choice. With the name Thomas on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they didn't waste any time getting those shirts out, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Wonder how long they've been in the cupboard for waiting for today. He hasn't worn one yet, and they are already sold out, probably. <laughs> mm. I was just thinking, like, who are the great number 18s of the Arsenal past? Gilles Grimondi? <laughs> Nacho Monreal? Nacho, yeah, he was briefly number 18, wasn't he? I think so. And then after that, it gets a bit tricky. <laughs> so hopefully he can make the number his own. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was obviously the, the massive news from an Arsenal perspective yesterday. Um, 
there, there, there has been some other actual Arsenal transfer business, which nothing for the first team, but nice to see that the club is still doing its due diligence in trying to pick up some younger players to, you know, as it's loaning out so many of its under-23s, it's trying to flesh out the under-23s, but also going back to the old Wenger days of taking a punt on someone, particularly now before Brexit kicks in and there's no chance of getting any foreign players under the age of nine, like 18. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely your area I want go here and <laughs> it's, it's, be, it's best sort of, there's, there's one lad from Ajax yes exactly yeah. uh, a young winger who previously was at Willem Tw- Tway I think um, what's his name Joel Adeho who's a, predominantly a right winger very quick apparently um, so he'd only been at Ajax for about six to nine months I think uh, but he's yeah he's a winger mostly plays on the right uh, very quick, apparently accurate crosser. Um, so we're not quite sure how that deal was done or what money changed hands. Uh, it seems like he didn't have a professional contract at Ajax, so we sweeped in to pick it up. And the under-23s have been needing a right-sided player because of the players they let go in the summer, you know, like Sam Greenwood, who otherwise might have played a lot on the right, who went to Leeds for a couple of million. Um, so that's and even in the youth setups below that, at the under-18 level, they've got players who, who can play on the right, but maybe aren't best on the right, like uh, Amari Hutchinson, who's a left-footed, tricky player, but he's also, you know, impressive as a number 10 type role. So that fills a squad. And the other one being uh, Nikolai Moller, or Moller, I don't know if it's pronounced, for, who's come from Malmo. That all the uh, all the site aggregators are trying to tell us is the new Zlatan because he's <laughs> Swedish, a striker, six foot three and come or six foot four and comes from Malmo. Uh, I mean, he doesn't have Balkan in him, so well, <laughs> that's a huge part of Zlatan and his personality. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't got around to talking about himself in the third person yet either. <laughs> Um, but you know this guy's uh, he's spent uh, some time uh, with the Bologna under 17s in Serie A so he's got a bit of experience of being away from home Uh, did okay there Um, but again it's a position that with the players that have left the club and those that might also be leaving we don't have uh, a lot of centre forwards at that level you've got Flo Balogun who um but you know, I mean, there's absolutely no word of him renewing his contract, so it seems like he'll be leaving the club in a year uh, unless something dramatic changes. So, getting in a, a young centre forward to a compete with him for that role, but also uh, perhaps provide, provide some continuity to next year is important for the club uh, at that level. And of course, if he does turn out to be the next Latin, we'll be over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, me particularly, because I have to admit, I have a bit of a, I have and have had for about twenty years a bit of a man crush on Zlatan. <laughs> just because, just because he's like, he, he's so unashamed in his personality, but also his public persona is so obviously him fucking with people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that he in, in personal life he's much different. I yeah, like, and he just loves screwing with reporters, and he, and mm-hmm. and and it's clear that whenever he does the whole like I am like lion thing, <laughs> that that he's just having a laugh because uh, all the people that know him, you know, find you know, are seem to be on board with it. And also, I just actually randomly observed and saw a couple of clips of him recently, sort of bumping into other people in like mixed zones and stuff, and being incredibly polite and respectful and and pleasant and 
<laughs> warm. <laughs> you're like, there you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's another little bit little bits of business we've been doing. And that apparently there's uh, a young uh, defender, Dutch defender from Schalke called uh, is it Karim Rekik, who might be joining us in January. We're waiting for final confirmation of that. His brother was in the Chelsea youth setup for a while and, and now plays, I think, uh, l- last I heard, saw him, he was playing in the Bundesliga. Um, he wasn't in Chelsea youth setup. Well, touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, half of fucking Europe, it's true. When they used to be loaning out 40 players a season. Yeah. Uh, he was definitely one of those who went on a few loans. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's... It, it's more making the point that it's good that alongside its big business, the club is also looking after its little business as well, and is um, you know not just focusing on the first team, but is also looking at the development ages beneath that and trying to plug gaps. And that the players they've bought are in positions where we have a need at that age profile, so uh, and they're all a bit different to what we have. So that's quite encouraging. Good job, Pierre Indeed. <laughs> So then looking at the outs, that was possibly slightly less satisfying, but uh, I I guess to get the controversial one out of the way that you were mentioning before we started recording, Anita, with with, with the tweet loving, uh, a a certain uh, long-haired French midfielder is now playing at Hertha Berlin for the next 12 months. Matteo Guendouzi finally found a place for him. I mean, obviously, there was something happening behind the scenes that we can speculate. What was it? Talk about the rumors that were going around and everything. But obviously, he wasn't in Mikel Arteta's plans. And I'm really glad that that got sorted. I'm still, I mean, he's still very, very young. And there's, yeah. it's, it would be awful to say that his career at Arsenal is over. So I'm glad that he is getting some, some time. In, I hope that he will get some time in her time, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing from an Arsenal perspective is that, you know, he wouldn't have counted uh, as a squad player because of his age. I think he's still got this season where he could have been under 21. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. And in terms of uh, squad registration. But more importantly, he's only got a year left in his contract after this loan spell. So his yeah. uh, even if he has a good loan spell, his value is not going to significantly increase. It just might increase the demand. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what takes place there. I mean, again, I'm reluctant to be too critical because, let's face it, most 20, 21-year-old guys do at some point act like a dickhead um, <laughs> and might not necessarily realise that they have acted like a dickhead until a little bit later. Um, and most 21 year old, year, year old guys don't have adulation and money thrown at them to add to the problem <laughs> but uh, of course as you mentioned we've we've had the, the Twitter love in between the outcasts yeah that's that's one thing that really annoyed me a little bit I haven't seen other people get annoyed about it or it just slipped under my radar <laughs> but I really he doesn't appreciate the tweets between Mesut Ozil and Matteo Guendouzi. Like they are, they have been, as you mentioned before, we started recording on the on the naughty step, <laughs> and they have been talking to each other and going, "Oh, good luck." I think Ezel called him Bebe. Yeah, or yeah. Something like that. I mean. Oh. Oh, I love you, dude. I love you too, man. 
Every, everyone else is like fucking tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> like no other fucking Arsenal players tweeting a damn thing. Everyone else is on message. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one mentioned the Gunduzi besides Mesutel, I think. Yeah, um, and then of course, uh, Twitter PR king Mesut followed that up today. <laughs> <laughs> I see someone say, "Wait, is still relevant?" So yeah, he's uh, he he's uh, seeing the success of the GoFundMe campaign to save Gunasaurus. Mesut has stepped in and has. Uh, Trying, trying to prevent the unnecessary extinction of of our strange <laughs> dinosaur mascot. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really weird situation. I think that the club here definitely are on the losing side. <laughs> Which way? Yeah, each way you turn this around. Because I mean, when the news came out yesterday morning on Monday morning uh, that the Gunnarsaurus, the the man playing <laughs> Gunnarsaurus, uh, I think his name is Jerry. Yeah, Jerry uh, Quiet. Yeah. yeah, he's getting. Uh, I w- I think the word sacked is a bit hard because uh, from the beginning it was clear that he will get come back and get his job back when the fans return. His job is again needed. I mean, when the news came out, it was just oh, horrible, horrible. <laughs> Definitely a really bad move for the club, especially on the transfer deadline day when you started the day thinking that we won't do any business and now we are letting other Sowers go as well. <laughs> and then the other the other side of the story, oh we let Connor Sowers go because we can't afford to pay his really obviously mine minor mine small small wages mm. and then we are go there and uh, give 50 million for for party with no no issue there i think it was just really awful pr move for the arsenal everyone was talking about it if we we were mocked by some other clubs like chelsea uh, zenit spartak uh i seen story about that in croatian media how arsenal sacked their loving mascot it's just although hats off to sevilla (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that was the best social media response. Yeah, they they signed Gunnarsaurus. That that, that was that was yeah. For those of you who didn't see it, it was a, a, a someone put out a tweet about you know who would you most like to sign? Who's your dream signing in this window? And Sevilla just replied with a picture of Gunnarsaurus, and I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And later played. that night, they they posted like a, a signing announcement. <laughs> wearing their kit and everything yeah that was really I mean it was really I, I said that Arsenal deserved that <laughs> going out with today with, with that news and I mean we all love Gunnar Sauer's not only Arsenal fans but the football world in general he is definitely one of the, the best mascots around <laughs> I mean it feels silly to talk about that <laughs> that's the moment we are in it's 2020 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then oh, sorry, when Mesut Ozil saw the open goal, <laughs> the PR open goal that Arsenal left him with and scored it with brilliant, you know, another Mesut Ozil assist, as they say, <laughs> offering to pay his wages. I'm just... I mean, it's one of those funny things, though, isn't it, though? Because it's like, it's a PR open goal, but 
it's also as a PR act, it's quite transparent in a way to the way it's been announced. I mean, the f- not paying the wages that could just be because Mesut Ozil actually gives a lot of money to charity, and this guy's around the club a lot, and Ozil might just like him. But the way it was announced is like it's so obviously, you know, trying to control the PR narrative that in a way it doesn't actually really help. Because no yeah. one's gonna, no one's going to suddenly think, ah, oh, what a great guy! I thought he was an arsehole before, but now I realise I was wrong. It's not going to change anyone's opinion, you know, whatever their opinion is. Well, I mean, judging by my mentions and <laughs> timeline on Twitter and everything, uh, a lot of people are still, I wouldn't say on Ezel's side, but applauded this move uh, rather than go like, oh, this is another PR stunt. I mean, I don't mind. I think it's a really lovely thing that he's trying to do, that he's trying to help a struggling person who just lost the job as many others did as well. But, you know, just doing it this way, what couldn't it have been done in private? And who even knows that if the the man behind the Gunnar Sad Jerry even wanted to go public with this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that. this is part of the problem of the broader issue really and it's been something that's afflicting Arsenal all summer which is an inability to control the news cycle which means they're always losing the PR battle it's like the redundancies it's like the scouts it's like this Gunasaurus it's like some of the transfer decisions or non-transfer decisions it's kind of like if you if, if something's happening and you don't put your reason or your views for it out then you can guarantee that someone who isn't on your side will express their own opinion you know and if, if the club had you know with redundancies earlier in the summer if the club had come out and said made their own statement saying that you know we're going through a restructuring period we're reworking re- we're remodeling our ways of operating we think we can be more efficient going forward but also uh, we think that uh, we want to try and modernize and this is part of us trying to get ourselves geared up for the new reality and at the same time allow us to save a bit of money in what would be match day expenses when there's no match day expenses no reason for them if they'd said that rather than waiting until like two days of newspapers just fucking and wall-to-wall tv and everyone sticking the knife in saying what a bunch of arseholes and the same with the scouts if they just said well actually if they said what came out much later we're looking to rework the way our scouting model works. We think if we use data more, we can we can uh, streamline our process, have less people involved in decision making, and be much more efficient and more agile in our ability to move forward. You know, that's the message that came out via other means, like three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> and then this, you know, if if again they'd said, uh, you know, Jerry's a key part of the club, blah blah blah, but while there are no matches on. We don't think there's any, you know, there's no real reason to have him wandering around the match day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would definitely be. Even they could even like there was a now a statement going around that the as a response to Mesut Ozil's tweet, Arsenal said that Conorsaurus uh, is not extinct, that he will get back. He's hibernating. They yes, they could have pitched yeah. it like that. Yeah. Yeah, they could have easily gone like gone like that. Uh, announce a, a new news piece on on the website and make it. I wouldn't say fun because there's nothing fun about <laughs> being out of job. Uh, but you know, just as you said, do your do it on your own terms. And yeah, and and frankly, what they could have easily done is, you know, imagine if they'd managed to work it differently and they'd managed to 
say to the, you know, maybe they'd said to this, you know, if they'd managed to work with Urzel in some way, so this doesn't turn into a PR battle, then it could be launched as a story of Gunnosaurus is in hibernation, but our but our first team squad is clapping it together to make sure that he's, you know, fed, they could have made a joke out, fed and watered and blah, 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 blah. You know, turn it into yeah, a positive story exactly. about how lovely our players are and how much they want to help our, our staff. Yes. But instead... Instead, they fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another another uh, indicator how bad the relationship is between Mesodezo and the club at the moment. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because it's the same thing of, like, he's nowhere near the first team squad. Everyone knows the club wants him to leave because they can't afford to pay his wages. Everyone knows he's not going to leave because he's getting paid those wages. <laughs> um <laughs> But like, like, there's been no kind of like stories about oh he's been missing training or he's been an arsehole or he's been you know falling out with the manager. There's no suggestion of any of that. Like with Genduzi, it was like him and the manager have fallen out. You don't need to know the specifics, but they've had a Barney and that's that. With Özil, it's kind of like well, yeah, we're just not picking him, and we'd prefer it if he left. And maybe yeah, the- and maybe he doesn't try very hard. <laughs> they, they keeps pointing out that it has something to do with with the refusal to take the wage wage cut. I mean, it may be, but I mean that strikes me as a very strange hill to die on. Because again, like the very fact that he was so he went from being in the team to frozen out, but no one's prepared to kind of even obliquely hint towards what's happened except for the fact that you know you know he's welcome back on the ship if he does the right thing whatever that right thing is um it's just it just leaves again it leaves a vacuum and i can understand why there are a number of different reasons why they might not want to go into detail but it leaves a vacuum which it just means that the club has no control over what you know what people think, feel, and you know, the only person putting anything out there is Urzel, basically saying, I'm fit, I'm ready, I'm happy to play, and I'm also going to pay this guy's wages, and here are some orphans that I've saved, and, Gend- and, I, re- and I really like Genduzi, he's a good young lad, and I'm still here, and I still get on with everyone. <laughs> and it just makes... Yeah, it- I've done nothing bad, I've done nothing wrong. But it just makes the club look, it makes the club look a bit petty, because it's leaving people to sort of reach the conclusion that Lee's reached. Or, or similar conclusions that the cl- that basically he's done something which the club don't like and they just decided to fuck him over. That's the, which I doubt very much if it's that simple. But if you don't say anything, then people will assume whatever they want, depending on you know their perspective, their prejudices, their viewpoints, you know, whatever. So again, it's another fucking PR disaster. Um, <laughs> we need to hire new PR people, maybe. Or just, I don't know, just get someone working there who has a vague understanding of how humans communicate with each other and what they actually want. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's really not rocket science. I mean, it's one of those things I find just confusing about the humans as a whole. It's like, you know, normally you don't have to do very much to make someone feel slightly better when they've had a conversation with you. You just kind of like, I'm listening. I'm interested in what you're saying. I have... I. While it doesn't necessarily affect me, I care if you're unhappy. 
<laughs> you know, if you just apply those principles to your communication, you don't actually even have to fucking do anything. <laughs> but, you know, because as fans, we feel like it's our club. We want to be respected. We want our values to be reflected. We want to feel like the club cares about us and people like us who are connected to the club in some way. You know, uh, and, we, and we want to feel like our club's doing the right thing uh, because it reflects on us in some weird, bizarre way. And if you don't pay even any lip service to that, then then you're just you know you're just slowly d- damaging your own reputation. It's very strange. It's very strange. <laughs> I think a lot, a lot, a lot of Arsenal fans are just waiting for the moment when Miss Tissel's contract runs out, runs out, or he finally decides, yeah, I will go play somewhere else. Just you know to stop talking about this every single week. <laughs> well, uh, um, we might we might touch on that subject with a couple of the questions we got coming up later, but not in any great detail. <laughs> I mean, looking at, looking at other departures. I mean, we mentioned Torreira on loan to Atletico. Does that make sense for him? Do you think? Oh, I I think so. Wow, you look well bothered. <laughs> <laughs> She slumps back in her chair and shrugs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> same with as with Quintuzi. It was kind of obvious that he's not in, in Mikel Aleta's plans. He will probably get some minutes here and there. And what you mentioned before, that we have too many non-Hongrong players uh, uh, already. So, I mean, okay, sure, go save, save some money and play in La Liga. And then we had the uh, the the, dis- the disappointing non-departures. Yeah, that that's the one thing that bothers me a bit more than anything else. Well, we got we got hit by the fact that other teams were more badly affected by COVID than us, and also throughout the window the ongoing process of Italian clubs going, yeah, we'll buy your player if you let us have him on a loan for three years where we pay 20% of our wages wages, and then if he's still got a contract we'll give you 50p and a packet of fags <laughs> and you're like that's exactly how they negotiate <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know there's I mean even Juventus one, you know one of the richest and biggest clubs in the world yes they're not so well off because they've spunking a billion pounds a week at Ronaldo but they've bought uh, they've taken advantage of the fact that Covid has fucked clubs' finances. They bought Chiesa from Fiorentina, one of the brightest young Italian talents, the symbol of his club, uh, homegrown Fiorentina boy, and they bought him on a deal where they pay ten million pounds to loan him for two years before they then pay forty million. <laughs> it's like you're fucking one of the you're the richest club in the country by a mile, and one of the big biggest clubs in the world, and you're deferring things by two years, like. And so, like, some of the bids that we, were, we we heard that we were getting, like, again, people saying, oh, yeah, we'll take Torreira on loan for two years. And you're like, well, <laughs> what fucking good does that do us? <laughs> <laughs> or, like, we'll take Socrates if you let us have it for free. And after a while, we're like, oh, fuck it, all right, then. And they're like, oh, and if you pay half his wages for the year he's got left. And you're like, what, so you want us to pay you? to get rid of someone that isn't doing us any harm by being here. Okay. And then the same with Mustafi again at the last minute where it sounded like he might be going to Lazio, but then they were like, oh, oh, we want us to pay his wages. Oh. I mean, at least with at least when the Kalasnach deal to Leverkusen fell through, you could get your head around it because Leverkusen were like, yeah, we'll buy him if we can sell one of our two shit left-backs. 
And they were like, well, no one wanted to buy our shit left backs. So we can't buy another fucking left back. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, at least there's a logic there. <laughs> yeah, and that's the one that I was most sad about not happening. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we all know we all know that Klasenac is like the whipping boy at the moment, and frankly, given the way his ability to manipulate a football has fallen off a cliff since we signed him, it's it's no no surprise really. But the way I see it is, he's a player that still potentially has some use for us. You know, Tierney's going to play a lot. Tierney's going to get injured occasionally. He's still recovering from a period of having been injured a lot. Um, there are times when we're just going to need someone with a left foot who can run up and down the line a bit. <laughs> um, and, you know, Kolasinac, for all his flaws, of which they are plenty, particularly when the ball's at his feet, you know, and he's not great at tracking runners either, but at least he's he always gives a massively wholehearted performance. And so you, his commitment's never in doubt. So, you know, in the right games, you know, I guess... If he's, you know, assuming now he's staying, I guess he'll see a lot of Europa League time. Um, you know, we'll see him again for those some of those League Cup games, maybe some FA Cup games. You know, he'll be he'll be there to keep other people fit. That'll be his job. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good good backup. But I suppose uh, worse out there. I mean, I suppose on that, 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 you know, we've kind of skirted around it a few times, but it does directly relate to one of the questions we had which I'm just going to try and find, because we had quite a few questions this week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is from Rob, which is at die underscore... Sorry, idle. My eyes are going. I'm getting old. At Rob at idle underscore hands underscore F365, who asks, which first two first team players would you not register? Yeah, that's a really, really tough one. There was uh, uh, the UEFA Europa League uh, registration is due tonight. Yep. The Premier League one is uh, October 10th, I think. So we have some time there, but the team has already been somewhat registered. And there's Pablo Mari and Cedric Suarez, I think, on on the list. Yeah. Dropped. And, I mean, I think... Pablo Mari kind of makes sense because he's out until what December. Uh, I don't know quite when his timeline is, but certainly for another month or so. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure about Cedric. I mean, he's definitely not a world <laughs> world class player, but uh, it's not. I would leave him there, and I would think about Socrates or even Mesut Ozil. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is I was going to ask you first. Who would you leave out, and and then second, who do you think the club will leave out? Because they might not be the same <laughs> answer. I would leave out one of the players that are injured, are predicted to be injured for a longer period of time, and I think Mari is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think he's he's the the latest signing, one of the newest players, and hasn't played that much in the team as well so I think that's, that's one obvious choice and the other really torn between Socrates and oh, it pains me to say it but <laughs> Mesut Ezel I mean if we are not playing him he's obviously not, not even on the bench or anything it's just 
it seems like a logical move, but then it remember, oh, it's Mesut Ezel, and we have a massive creative hole in the midfield for like 50% of the time, <laughs> at yeah. least. And it's also the fact it's not as if Socrates has got a hint of game time either. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, okay, yeah, so Mari and Socrates for me then, okay. And which do you think the club will do? Hmm. <laughs> 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 is, is, it, is the regulation the same for Premier League and for Europa League? Uh, uh, largely, yeah, yeah. I mean, for the purposes of what we're talking about, largely, yeah. I think that they might go with with that as well. I just think that even though Mesutizel leaving out Mesutizel would be logical when you think when you look at his history at the club since uh, the pandemic and everything, and he sees uh, not being in the team and everything. It just you know seems like. Yeah, okay, this player is not playing, this player is not involved in matches at all, so we won't uh, sign him for for the, the season. But it's it's Mesut Ezel, and I just think that it, it might do more harm than good, if that makes sense. Another mm-hmm. PR disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I actually agree with you. Um, uh, given that Pablo Mari is probably not going to be back to full fitness until the next transfer window opens, and then we can review things then. I, I too, would have Socrates as the odd man out simply because we've got a lot of central defenders or people who can play in central defence. And, um, and the fact that parties arrived might increase the opportunity for us to occasionally experiment with actually having someone in a more advanced creative midfield position. Um, I mean, I still would be amazed if, even if he is registered, if Ozil gets more than one or two games before between now and Christmas, maybe a Europa League game or two. Because um, <laughs> I can't see imagine him playing against Man City in the Carabao Club. Cup, and I can't imagine him being in the league team unless we have a flurry of injuries. But essentially, I'd I'd keep him in the squad simply because if we do have an injury crisis, he's probably slightly closer to actually getting on the pitch than Socrates. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the club do. Um, I mean, it's just it's just so sad that we are now talking like this about Mesut Ezel. Yeah, I mean, it it, 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 it feels it, it always feels slightly surreal, really, particularly yeah. when it, you know, technically he's still one of our two or three best players in the squad, but you know, and and in terms of his passing range and passing vision, is is obviously near the top as well, if not at the top. Um, so, but it's one of those things of on the flip side of the coin is. Well, this relates to, we'll talk very briefly about the games, you know, the the game against Sheffield United, you know. Oh, there was a football match. There was a couple of football matches, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, the game against Sheffield United, Willian was, really didn't make any impression at all on the right. But then when he moved to the number 10 role and we put Pepe on the right, suddenly Willian was really involved and was doing... But also... You know, not his passing wasn't quite as incisive as Ursel's can be, but the flip side of the coin was he was working his nuts off trying to get win the ball back, 
which is like the immediate kind of like, oh, that's, yeah, that's why Ozil's not in the team. Because <laughs> cause he doesn't really do proper closing down, except for like at random moments. And it happens so rarely that you kind of remember it when it happens, which shouldn't be the way it is. <laughs> yeah, and you go, oh, see, Ezel is still trying to get the ball back. Is it, you know, with Urzel, when, when Urzel kind of chases back and makes a tackle, it's a little bit like when Robert Pires tackled Patrick Vieira uh, for the when we beat Juventus 2-0 in the Champions League all those years ago on the way on the way to the Champions League final. It's sort of like, it's something that everyone remembers because it's like, Robert Pires slide tackled someone. <laughs> and it was Vieira. Like, he tackled someone who was like, not like some tricky flighty player like he tackled someone tough (laughs) almost went down in folklore you know Um, so this is this is the thing is like can Ozil play in in a game where in a system where we're trying to make sure that everyone is applying their element and I guess it only really you can only do that in games where you think that isn't necessary or it's like a dead rubber and you're just trying to avoid other people getting injured. Um, which feels mental, but I suppose if you're trying to create a, a new club identity and a new way of playing, you know, it's always been the problem with Mesut, isn't it? Is that he's brilliant, but he's brilliant at doing what he does and doesn't do what he doesn't do. And like most players kind of have preferences, but Ozil either does something or he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> in in the same way in the last two years that like he doesn't run into the penalty area anymore <laughs> um, which he was doing to great effect for a period before that which is a shame yeah. um, anyway enough about bloody Mesut Ozil <laughs> um, so yeah before we go we, before we look at the questions um, we do all well, the other questions we we do have a couple of games to talk about very briefly as you, as you said with some relief so the League Cup game against Liverpool, the Anfield Revenge, um, <laughs> or something. Was there anything about that that stood out for you apart from the sheer uh, hilarity of Ainsley Maitland-Niles from the penalty spot again? Oh, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the one thing I remember. <laughs> feel free to t- feel free to talk about it. I was just setting it up for you. Oh, it was just amazing. He should take all our penalties coming. <laughs> well, well, it was interesting that Arteta said, you know, afterwards that basically, he, you know, Ainsley gives him a heart attack with that run up. But he, but he, but he brought Ainsley on because he thought it might go to penalties. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was. <laughs> it I didn't expect much from that match. I, I did uh, expect us to play much better than in the league against. Uh, a slightly weakened Liverpool side. Hmm. Uh, the result, I mean, nil nil. <laughs> but yeah, that that penalty is definitely something. The only thing I remember from that match, <laughs> probably. Uh, well, it was it was the fact that it was the, this cold penalty, and then he burst out laughing afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was sort of. I find it sort of it, it was a okay. It was a dull game, but there were things about it that were interesting. Like I thought, um, in a way, Cedric Suarez on the right and his delivery from deep wide areas exposed a bit of the flaw in Liverpool's setup. Actually, because he was playing in these kind of 
crosses behind their high line and four or five times we either got in or nearly got in off a simple ball from a wide position you know delivered pretty well and it'd be fair to say in terms of crossing in a traditional sense Cedric is better than Bellerin and you know crossing from that position it's the rest of his attacking game which isn't as strong but um, and then we saw Aston Villa just do the same thing but better <laughs> <laughs> they learn from us probably well this is what I'm saying you know we <laughs> no but in some seriousness because in the league game we showed you know Liverpool showed us the strength of that a tactical approach and how if you and how if you've got their first team and they're playing in all cylinders you know it can suffocate an opposition a little bit and I thought they were absolutely brilliant in the first half for us in, in the league game uh, but equally you know Lacazette should have scored once and could have maybe got two if the, I don't know if the other one was offside in the end but yeah. um you know, so even though we were pinned back the entire game and they were pressing us like animals and they were playing really, really well, you know, we were a bit unlucky not to nick something out of the game. Not that we really deserved it, but given given that Liverpool's third goal had a bit hint of handball and given that Sadio Mane could have been sent off after about 20 minutes, um, the main thing to take from that is that at least his at least his forearm didn't, didn't have COVID on it. <laughs> Sorry, bad taste. Um, but, <laughs> but but like he but he tested from he tested positive for COVID like a day after sm- smashing Kieran Tierney in the face. And Kieran Tierney hasn't tested positive for COVID, so that's something. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I I think we showed the dangers of of a particular approach against Liverpool, but also you know in that game and the League Cup game we got in against them. Just but um, without, with, despite the fact we were playing, you know, we only had a creative passer on the pitch for a very short period of time in terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of Danny Ceballos, and and you know he created a couple of chances against them, in, which were okay. Allison did a great job coming off his line so quickly to, to shut them down, but they were proper chances. They were proper. Ch- they were the kind of chances if if someone like Aubameyang had been thrown goal, you'd have just thought he's going to score here. Yeah, there was a lot, lots of talk uh, after the the league game and the league cup game as well a bit uh, about the difference in quality between our team and Liverpool and how we still have to work a lot to get where they are with players. The team, I mean, obviously they have been playing together for a few seasons now, mm-hmm. and they are really mm-hmm. great team. But then you see what happened to them on Sunday against Aston Villa. I mean, for me, I think, you know, I think Sadio Mane is a massive miss for them. I think for all the talk about Van Dijk, and of course he has transformed their defence, which was a bit shambolic before. I think Mane, from from about November, December of last year, I think Mane has been their best player by some distance. I think, I think without him, they're a press in the attacking third doesn't do anything like the same aggression he's so direct the way he plays he can score lots of different types of goals or be threatening in lots of different situations you know I think I think he's their best player I think you know Salah is obviously a great goal scorer but for me Mane is a better footballer and also scores almost as many goals and um, and you know Jota's a, a, a good player but he's not going to have the same impact on that same Liverpool team but I think also Liverpool did the thing against Villa that we used to do, which is like, ah, we'll roll this lot over. 
they only missed relegation by a point last year. No problem. <laughs> and then they got and they got torn a new one. And and the thing is, is they they didn't adjust to the game. They, you know, yes, it's all in good. You've got to play to your principles and try and stick to your principles. But if the game state means that that is fundamentally not working, you have to try and adjust. And they didn't. They kept playing this ridiculously high line um, and not really protecting their back line or, or, or cutting off passing lanes. So, you know. Yeah, they had they had all the ball, all the possession, everything while we were scoring goals. Yeah, because Villa just realised, OK, well, we'll either go down the channels or over the top of them or through or, or, or occasional McGinn balls through the middle but you know Liverpool's full backs which is their great attacking strength neither of them are defensively great positioning but normally they get more help from their midfield but this time they're mid, you know the, the, against Villa the Liverpool midfield did not press with anything like the same intensity as they pressed against us um, yeah they Probably what you said, they had, oh, this is Aston Villa who avoided relegation for a point and will play it like this. I mean, it's just, I think uh, I saw that Aston Villa had 17 or more shots yeah. against Liverpool. I mean, 30% possession and 17 shots. That's just... That's like Unai Emery football. <laughs> <laughs> That's just ridiculous. If it, at some point it felt like they were just, you know, shooting, oh, Perhaps this will, this one will go in as well. <laughs> well, I mean, even though Villa had a you know a couple of their goals were deflected in and like big deflections, you know they could have scored three more in that game, Villa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they hit the bar. They had a you know a couple of chances went very close, and Liverpool just they they didn't react to the way the game was changing. And Emi Martinez saves a few stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, I think, oh, mind you, Bert Leno saved us a couple of times as well. But I, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I particularly in the League Cup game, of course, where he, he had his shootout heroics. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the fact I was looking at it. Uh, I also had an Arsenal forum up at the same time, and one of the people on there was uh, complaining about how Bert Leno's never going to save a penalty, and then he immediately saved two, <laughs> and that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, it was. It was. I, th I think this season is going to be a lot closer across the board. Uh, I think, you know, the fact is, is Liverpool re achieved incredibly high standards last year, but it was also, teams are going to have been looking at that and going, okay, this lot really good. We need to really prepare against them. <laughs> we need to know, we need to have clarity about what we're, what we're doing. And um, it's, it's bloody hard, even if you've got great players, to play at that level every game. You know, it's really difficult. Yeah. That's why, despite the fact that every year people... You know, look at whether the best team in the league is, and say, "Oh, are they going to go unbeaten?" And they're trying to get all some Arsenal fans to shit ourselves. And I'm just like, it's really fucking unlikely. There's a reason why it's an achievement. It's because it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they act as if there was no, never ever any dominant teams before over the previous hundred and twenty years. You know, and it's <laughs> like, well, no, they've been dominant teams in every era. It's just that it's incredibly difficult to sustain that in every single game. It just yeah. is because human human nature is to take a breather occasionally mentally, you know. Um, but I have to ask you more. I mean, I know that this might be a sensitive subject in your household. Mm -hmm. But 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 which shock weekend result amused you more? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously you probably enjoyed Aston Villa more because it wasn't Spurs winning. But I did think yeah. I did think the Spurs victory was quite funny. 
<laughs> I was being smug on Monday morning, walking into work with obviously my my dear husband, mm-hmm. Manchester United supporter and colleague, a Liverpool supporter. They were both. Oh, did you see what 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 happened last week, this weekend? How our teams played? And I was like, chillax, dude. I mean. I have been through that. You can survive everything. Yeah. Just remember the eight two. It's just a result. You will go through through that and <laughs> win more. I mean, as you said, it's it's tough to enjoy the Manchester United loss when it's Spurs winning on the other side, and not only Spurs, but Jose Mourinho with Spurs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean that that was not fun but yeah it's it's nice to see Manchester United imploding and then doing absolutely nothing useful on the transfer deadline day, day as well so. despite being linked to every winger in Europe <laughs> and then signing Edison Cavani for I'm not sure how much wages I mean knowing United it's, it's probably a lot <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because like United spent all summer trying to get Sancho, and then there was, and then it suddenly became just get any winger we can. They failed to get a winger, but then you're also like, is is winger really your number one priority? Mm-hmm. Looking at that team, is it really a winger you want? You Especially want a when winger? They sold their their best <laughs> defender. Yeah quite yeah because <laughs> like Harry Maguire he looks like he's he's not been affected at all by being banged up in Greece oh my god I I enjoyed that <laughs> he trying taking the ball away from Luke Shaw and, and trying to kill Luke Shaw in the process as well <laughs> that's just brilliant but also just like the fact that they've they've managed to get end up with this incredibly ill-balanced team <laughs> it's like it's like yes, you've bought a lot of good footballers, but you haven't thought about how any of them are going to fit together. Mm-hmm. I mean, but there's there's a common denominator to all those last few seasons with hmm. Man United, and it's obviously the Ed Woodward. I mean, there's lots of people going, "Oh, Ole is not the man for the job. Go, go get Pochettino and similar similar names." Hmm. But I mean, it's happened with uh, Luis Van Gaal. It happened with David Moyes. It happened with Jose Mourinho as well. They all had a list of players that they would like, that they think that would improve and probably would improve that Manchester United team. And they didn't get those players. They get some, you know, Plan Bs or some other agent. Agent. Uh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> agent favorite players. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know what you mean. Uh, with Edward Burke leading all the negotiations, and yet he, the man, managers are being sacked, and new ones are being brought in, and yet he's still there, and he's still still making the decisions, and obviously bad decisions, which is fine by me, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those strange things, and it's like you're like, well, surely he's not the only person making the transfer decisions. Because that would be an absolutely insane way to run a football club. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, there's you, you I can't, like I look at the like Bruno Fernandes. That was okay. That's a signing that made sense because they had no one in the final third with who could play a creative pass. Okay, apart from Juan Mata, but Juan Mata can't really sustain a high level of play anymore. Okay, I understand that, but then. 
they've still got glaring weakness. Like they just like surely they should have been the team that were after Thomas Party, given that they've got money to burn. And the one thing they haven't got is a defensive midfielder who's like reliable, <laughs> despite the fact they've got these millions of supposedly world class or, or promising midfielders. And then, of course, the fact is, well, now they've bought Tellers at left back, so uh, you know he's he's quite exciting, very good going forward. Possibly makes Luke Shaw look like Paolo Maldini in, in defensively, <laughs> so that should be quite entertaining. But yeah, I mean. I, funnily enough, I think Cavani might do okay there, actually. Uh, I mean, he hasn't got Zlatan's personality in terms of just coming in and going, I'm the fucking man. So he, he he's not going to have that level of impact. But he's a striker that, you know, just his attributes mean he's going to get chances. And Falcao's time. Falcao's a very different sort of player, though. Like, I thought, I thought, I think Cavani's a much better fit for the Premier League than Falcao ever was. Because uh, Falcao Falcao's the kind of striker that I could have like if he'd been playing for I don't know AC Milan in the eighties would have got a million goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I always I always felt that he would struggle slightly with the physicality of the Premier League, and particularly as he turned up injured and all the rest of it as well. Um, so someone was asking me the other day actually uh, who who's won the transfer window, and I, I was like I have no fucking idea because. <sighs> That's just, I really hate that, that question, that, that claim. Someone won the transfer window. Wow. Great. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and it's particularly a question that you really can't find the answer to until about three years later when you actually see how players pan out long term. Because at the moment, <laughs> yeah, exactly. at the moment, Chelsea look like they've done great business. But at the same time, people are starting to go, hmm, Timo Werner. Hmm. Is, is he as good a fit as we thought? And how's Ziyech going to fit into this shape? You know, there's... We don't know. We don't know. I mean, obviously, Man City done the usual thing and gone, Defenders! Ah, all the money! Um, so we'll see how that pans out. But, hey, everyone knows they need defenders, so you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just, obviously, the League Cup game came and it went and we won and that was fun, uh, at least the outcome. And then hard-fought league game against Sheffield United. Uh, I mean... Very quickly, what are your impressions of, of, of that match? Yeah, first first half, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was just very dull and boring, and not. I can't really remember anything happening in that first half. And then what you mentioned in the second half, when Pepe came on and Willian uh, was on the number 10, and it definitely started working a lot better, it was... The ball moved faster, and obviously we scored the two goals, and mm. much, much, much better. And hopefully, that's a recipe for future matches as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I sort of described it afterwards to my stepdad as being a truly terrible game with three fantastic goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that Sheffield goal was just really good and. I can't blame anyone for for that. It just went in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was literally like I think it was the second shot they'd had in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, efficiency. They obviously had like ten more afterwards. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> What's that? We're winning with five minutes to go. Don't panic. <laughs> um, but I have to say, like, what a fantastic goal from Pepe as an individual goal. Yeah. 
definitely. That's what the money's there. That's what the money's for. Because like, mm-hmm. there's only one other player in our squad that could do that, <laughs> <laughs> and he and he didn't really get a kick. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I've like you, yeah, th- saw the formation change and thought this is exciting because suddenly, you know, part uh, I tweeted just during the match. Part of the problem that we've got is that obviously we've very much prioritised clarity and structure and basically stopping ourselves being a shit show when the, when the opposition have the ball, which is exactly what needed to happen. But the yeah. the, the problem is, is now we've got the balance where where we've got we're so structured that other teams then kind of know what to do and we, ha- we haven't got enough unpredictability and we haven't got in the same way that the winning goal against West Ham came because one of our central midfielders decided to stop being in the central midfield for a few seconds and, and suddenly the opposition went what? <laughs> they're not allowed to do that um, and in the same way that you know our opening goal against Sheffield United came from you know the much maligned Mohamed Elneny actually uh, you know, getting himself into an advanced position and trying to accelerate the play. I mean, it was good play by everyone else, of course, and a lovely cross from Bellerin and a, and a very well-placed header um, by Saka. Um, but that, again, came from a central midfielder just pushing the pace a little bit and finding himself somewhere that the opposition wasn't expecting him to be. And, you know, going back to Thomas Party, that's what makes him exciting for me because he's got the legs to provoke in that way but get back but also alternatively give others the freedom to provoke in that way because he can cover laterally as well as vertically and I think I, I think the Sheffield United game was a really good illustration of like why Party will be a really useful player for us just because he he will allow the team to take more risks even whether it's him or someone else doing it and that's that's pleasing <laughs> Yeah, just one more thing about that. We can break our tradition and not mention the referee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen that uh, lots of people complain about Sky commentary saying how David Luiz should have been sent off or something. I honestly didn't notice that at all. And my commentator on Creation TV didn't point that out at all. But yeah, but narrative. <laughs> narrative there was, there was a lot of a lot of talk on on creation tv about the supposed red card for for Sheffield player yeah well i mean the david louise one i mean i can see why people were asking for a red card because we're all fans and hopeful <laughs> but <laughs> it it was such a momentary action and leno was getting there anyway so you, you know certain refs would have found a way to justify to themselves that it should be sent off even after looking after video but yeah as I say Leno was going to get the ball anyway I thought and the contact was pretty minimal um, I mean it was still stupid but <laughs> <laughs> but but not if you get away with it <laughs> um, so that's that's what that's one where I can honestly say that had an opposition player done that, I wouldn't have been screaming for a red card. You know, if it the free kick had been given, I would have maybe wanted a yellow, but I don't think it was denying a goal-scoring opportunity at all, actually. Um, and then on the Sheffield United one, it was a bad tackle. Yeah. It was a bad tackle. I mean, it's every 
ev- everything I read or heard about it that mentioned it as significant said it should have been a sending off. Obviously, as per usual, some reports are like, tackle? What tackle? Nothing happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Aubameyang got a red card for that last season. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then we've all we, we all know that differential officiating is a thing. Um, but what I will say actually is, apart from those, apart from that incident, I thought the referee was pretty good actually at the weekend. I thought you know yeah there was a bit of rotational fouling from Sheffield United and there was one of the midfielders I can't remember which should have been booked a couple of times for you know just basically stopping the play. But I thought actually the being the play being stopped was more down to Sheffield United's work rate and positioning. And uh, yeah, I, I thought the referee was relatively unimportant in the game, um, which makes a nice change. <laughs> not not like going to Anfield and going, ah, even with no crowd, the ref's still under pressure. <laughs> okay, time for listener questions uh, before we wrap this up, because we've got a few more this week. So our first, I'm going to do these in the order that they arrived, and, and then Anita can tell me when I've inevitably missed one that I haven't seen the notification for. But uh, <laughs> so the first one we had came from friend of the podcast and occasional guest Rohan Kumar. That's at zero nine Rohan, who asks, should you continue? Should we continue with the winning three four three or change to four three three now since party has arrived? Well, I leave this this one to you, Matthew, because I think that you have much better idea <laughs> than than I do. <laughs> to be honest, I don't have a lot to say. I think I think the four three three is the inevitable outcome down the line. I think he'll keep with this three four three that occasionally turns into a four three three or four whatever whatever. Um, I think, yeah, I think we'll keep what we're doing at the moment, probably until maybe about Christmas. You know, we'll experiment with a 4-3-3 and some games against home games or games against weaker opposition, particularly in the Europa League. Uh, because, you know, let's not forget that Thomas Partey has never played in England, apart from an away game at Anfield and an away game at the Emirates. Um, and we'll need some time to adjust. And accordingly, we'll need time to adjust around him as well. So uh, I, I expect this to be evolution rather than revolution, but I'll be very surprised if we don't start seeing towards the end of the season something nearer to a four-three-three more regularly. Depending, of course, on what happens with the fitness of Gabriel and if Saliba kicks on in his development. If he doesn't go on loan. If he doesn't go on loan, yeah, which is a sort of surprising set of circumstances given how fetid he's been. Another amusing. A mental breakdown was uh, Sintetian again losing their shit <laughs> like very publicly screaming all over the internet about oh it's Arsenal they fucked us over again we were going to get him on loan we had an agreement and they fucked us over and like and then of course like uh, get French football news or whatever they're called who basically for whatever reason have a massive spat with the Arsenal fan base <laughs> in a way that's kind of slightly slightly tragic um you know, there was a lot of people going, oh, Arsenal fucking bastards. And then Arsenal just released a very short thing this afternoon, just going, uh, yes, we had an agreement with Sintetien, but the rules say they have to get their paperwork in, in first, and they never did. <laughs> <laughs> Smug. So, um, 
Well, I mean, I think I'm sure they'd be happy with him going on loan, but it's, you know, after last season of Centetian going, look, you won't let us play in the cup final. It's like, well, no, because you want us to pay you two and a half million quid for the pleasure. Go fuck <laughs> yourselves. Anyway. Um, yeah. So the next question we have, uh, we've, had, we've done Rob's question already. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, we've got one that's slightly off topic, which we might save till a bit later. Okay. <laughs> you, you, I think you know which one that one is in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is from Andrew at Andy Peeps uh, on Twitter. Or Andy Peepo, sorry. God, I'm going blind, getting tired. <laughs> if forced to, which two players would you take from Man United? They would take Aubameyang and Party stroke Saka, I guess. So, mm. as as someone who possibly ha- is in, has to endure slightly more Manchester United games than I do, I'll let you, I'll let you lead on this one. <laughs> I'm also looking, watching the Manchester United games and thinking, f- trying to find mistakes and what's wrong with, with their team, not to, to see, oh, yes, I want this player. <laughs> I'm not sure. I did like I did like uh, the impact that Bruno Fernandes brought brought to Man United when he was signed. Penalty is shooting aside. <laughs> I mean, there's no one better at falling in the box. <laughs> I I think it would be Marcus Rashford, but mm-hmm. perhaps more from the you know human side rather than football side. If okay. that makes sense. Although he's really. Uh, still very very young player and uh, looks like uh, he has a lot of pot- potential and he's good at the moment as well and beside him <sighs> I'm not sure <laughs> maybe maybe Juan Mata also more from like a human side <laughs> <laughs> wow she doesn't rate their players at all <laughs> <laughs> Who would you go? I mean, uh, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, David De Gea. I'm uh, not sure. Uh, I would actually go for uh, two French lads. I'd actually go for Anthony Martial um, because I think uh, his ability to run with the ball in in tight areas is something that we lack in this squad, and also because I just think he would fit better into. Arsenal as a club than he is at Man United and in the way that and, and stylistically and it would actually be the much maligned Paul Pogba uh, because I think if we're shifting to a 4-3-3 and we actually play a 4-3-3 that makes any fucking sense unlike what Man United do I think he would be really interesting as a third centre midfielder like in the way that Juventus used him where he didn't have to be the guy he was basically just on the left side of central midfield. You had someone really strong defensively at controlling the game behind him and someone really fit and athletic uh, and disciplined on the other side of him. And he was just free to go around and do his shit, um, which is what United did for a bit when him and Ibrahimovic were in the team together. And I thought Popper was, was really fantastic for that, that period or for large parts of that period. And also just because I think, you know, under a manager that doesn't let him take the piss... I think I think Arteta would like get in his head and sort him out, <laughs> and 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 before you know it, he'd be he'd be on message, he'd be on the boat, <laughs> and 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 because you know there's no doubt that just from a talent perspective, he's their best player. Whether it's you know he doesn't it doesn't get realised, 
you know, there's, there's something wrong with his application and something wrong with his tactical intelligence at United. But I think his sheer talent levels are the, the greatest. That's my. And I also, I just I just dislike him off pitch, but too too much to want him at, at our team. <laughs> And also, it's partly because if it doesn't work out, you can flog him to Real Madrid for 100 million in a year. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the image rights. Um, okay, so the next question we got was from Indian Guna at Indian Guna 10. Uh, give a nice clear username there. Which is mm-hmm. Would you keep Smith Rowe or loan him out? I would keep him. 100%. Yeah, he had a good loan spell, and I think he would definitely be useful. Yeah, I'd definitely keep him. I think I think there's a a, a hole in the squad that he's the shape for. Certainly, and homegrown player. Homegrown player, yeah. And also, I think if you're going to loan a player on the fringe of the team out, the time to do it is in January when we've played League Cup and we're through the Europa League group stages, and mm. it's, then it get you know it, if they're not quite showing enough to be ready for proper big boy football. Then you send him on loan then, um, but as, no, I don't think football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like when the shit hits the fan, um, well, you don't want to be taking risks on, on people. But I, th- I think he's an, a great talent, and I think he has qualities that, again, we don't have enough players in the squad that share those qualities. So hopefully, he can get fully fit after the international break, and we can see him tearing up the Europa League, like he did a couple of years ago under Unai Emery. Let's not forget. <laughs> And uh, the last question, and this one is definitely one for you, Anita, because it's, mm-hmm. it's even been directed at you. This username is cat is cat at k and l s, which is who is was Anita's favourite Spice Girl. <laughs> That's a really fun, creative question. <laughs> the question is: Can you give an answer that relates to football? well that would be obviously picking Victoria Beckham (laughs) not necessarily not necessarily (laughs) or or Mel C was it she's a big Liverpool fan yeah but yeah but Ginger Spice was a big Watford fan (laughs) I think I would go with her the Ginger Spice I mean I was really young when they were popular and yeah I don't think I was that much into them I think I was more into Backstreet Boys <laughs> Backstreet's back alright <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I, I would go with with the Ginger Spice Jerry yeah uh, I, I I mean I uh, obviously I was 18 when the Spice Girls first appeared so I was at university so uh, yeah so, so many, many of my first first nights out on the, on the town involved people zigzag ing across the room, um, but I guess for just totally yeah the most random reason, Baby Spice simply because uh, I remember her uh, playing uh, being an acting in a TV show about three or four years before some like BBC or ITV cop drama and she was playing a prostitute. <laughs> So, so it amuses me. <laughs> although it's cl- although it's clear that uh, it was it was Mel uh, Mel B who I was or Mel C, sorry, who was the one who could sing the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, um, 
I've got a question for you, Anita. Ooh. And any listeners, if you want to answer this, do feel free to, to tweet at us afterwards, which is there are a number of players who are free agents. And I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> to list a, a, a nine, as referred to in a TalkSport article, but, there are, yeah, but who are quite high profile. And if you had to take one which would you take and if there's one that you would refuse to take on pain of torture <laughs> who would you refuse so the nine players are Danny Welbeck who's just been released by Watford on mutual consent there's Jack Wilshire uh, even more injury prone than Danny Welbeck just been released by West Ham Daniel Sturridge equally injury prone uh, but at least played for most of last season at times Nathaniel Klein, also injury prone but younger. Um, Fabio Barini, ex Liverpool, who uh, ex ex Liverpool player who is also a Chelsea youth player, so counts as homegrown despite the fact he's Italian and has been playing in Italy for Milan and Hellas Verona. Mario Goetze, who's uh, whose form has fallen off a little bit of a cliff since uh, since he was. Uh, when he's scoring a World Cup winning goal as back at Dortmund but he's had some health problems and, and left at the end of last season but still has good pass and assist num- or passing creating chances numbers possibly slightly further off from your list Samir Nasri who <laughs> who got sacked by Anderlecht uh, Umar Nias former Everton non-scoring striker Mario Mandzukic for the Croatian love, and uh, lastly uh, uh, Kogawa, formerly of Dortmund and Man United. So who, so who would you have and who would you not have under any circumstances? That's quite a list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could definitely see see someone like I don't know. I would say West Ham, but they just sacked Jack Wilshere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a Slavian village uh, going for Mario Mandzukic in West Brom. <laughs> but if you if you had to have one at Arsenal, who would you go for? I think. I mean, do I look like who would we use the most, or listen to my heart and go Jack Wilshire? <laughs> <laughs> I think I w- I would go with him probably. I mean, I wouldn't like go now and yes, please bring us anyone from that list. But if I had to pick, I think I would go with him. Just a bit of sentimental reasons, but he's still young, even though he's injury prone and he might get some time and, you know, be a role model for younger kids. (laughs) And he's... uh, training getting his uh, badges and everything yeah so that's yeah. for the future as well so and he's homegrown so we could actually include him in our squad without having to let anyone else out so yeah. that, there you go uh, yeah i'd go with that if it was pure cold-hearted thought uh, i'd probably go with, you know, uh, and there was no squad number restrictions i'd actually probably go for manzukic just because he's he his ability in the air off the bench would be really fucking handy in some games. Yeah, he 
it's really good. I mean, he doesn't get talked about so much, but I mean, he went to he won the Champions League. He won, he was Silver World Cup. I mean, he's really really good player, and yeah, even though he is now uh, closing the end of his career and everything, but he's he, as a, as you said from from the bench as a striker and. Yeah, definitely could do a job still. Okay, and do, dare I dare I need to ask which one you definitely wouldn't have? <laughs> oh, or, or, or shall we not even say the name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm not sure. Are we thinking about the same? I I I'll say I I'll say it. It's Summer Nasr. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Yeah, Samir Nasri, who not only is managed to piss off all Arsenal fans, even when he played for us, let alone when he left, <laughs> uh, basically managed to get sacked from Anderlecht for being too much of a bellend after having had been postponed for doping, or banned off for doping for uh, after getting dodgy infu- infusions and or transfusions and dodgy massages at some place in, in, elite, in the States. Doctors, right? Yeah, doctors, yeah, yeah, elite something. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that's quite an easy one. Um, but hey, if any of you out there disagree with us, uh, it'd be quite amusing if you'd let us know. And maybe you mm-hmm. think well, there's a place for Welbs. <laughs> Um, he's a good guy he's yeah he's a good guy yeah I mean there's a few on that list that you think no, if they'd been a bit more lucky with injuries they could have had really fantastic careers Jack being yeah. obviously the most obvious yeah alright well that seems like a good place to end uh, mm-hmm. with something nice and silly um, mm-hmm. obviously we don't have a game for a while because it's international break mm. <sighs> Already. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we won't, we're not going to bother previewing any international games because, you know, fuck that shit. No one cares. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll speak to you next week, possibly when we've got a bit more information about the games ahead, who's getting fit, who's not going to be fit, praying obviously we don't get any injuries during the international break. Uh, but until then, it's a goodbye from me, I think. Yeah, and from me as well, from Croatia. From Croatia. I've got to go and visit Croatia. I've got to come and turn up and annoy you guys when the world opens up again. (laughs) Please do. Have a lovely week, everyone. Uh, I hope that yesterday's news has put you all in a slightly better mood than you might otherwise would have been. And just enjoy that feeling and also knowing that both United and Liverpool got absolutely gubbed at the weekend. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.